Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Liverpool Comedy Improv Cast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community. And today's very special guest is the founder of Liverpool Comedy Improv herself, the fantastic Emma Bird. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. Now it's time to go off script and find out Emma's true story about making stuff up. I'm super happy to be saying this. Can we please welcome this week's guest? It's Emma. <laughs> Hi, Ian. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me on this scorching hot day. I know. Absolutely roasting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to summer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad now if this episode goes out on a really cold day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we I'm can't really control the So there you go. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you very much for joining me. People have been asking me for so long since the podcast started, oh, you must get Emma on, you must get Emma on. So I'm so pleased that here we are able to have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, you, you've completely blown me away about with this uh, podcast. So thank you for all you do. Like, it was a little uh, kernel of an idea that I had in January, in fact. And I was like, that would be awesome. I'd love to, because I... People in the community speak to me, like they'll, we'll have chats, you know, and all that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they're so fascinating and so interesting. And I would like other people to know that, that know them and know each other. Um, so then I had that kernel of an idea and I thought, who would be great for this? And I thought, oh, Ian, Ian would be great <laughs> for this podcast um, to host. Um, so I'm so thankful to you for running with it for and so brilliantly for so long. So thanks. Oh, you're very welcome. I am absolutely delighted to be doing this and I really appreciate the opportunity. So thanks. <laughs> uh, so um, as always, I'd like to start these things by jumping straight into all things improv. So I'd like to know, how did you get into improv? Um, oh, gosh. Um, so my background is as an actor. So I started acting when I was um, relatively young. I think my first professional job was when I was 17, I think. Um, and before that, I was in uh, Wirral Youth Theatre because I grew up on the Wirral and um, I went to Wirral Youth Theatre when I was seven years old. And uh, on the first day of going to Wirral Youth Theatre, my little one of my baby tooth fell out and um, the facilitator, I was very upset. And the facilitator gave me a nice glass of orange juice, calmed me down. And and then I continued with the Wirral Youth Theatre. And then I had a short, a small break. And then I went back as a teenager from more seriously from about the age of 13. Right. And I was at Royal Youth Theatre for, for all my teenage years. And we did tons of impro, like drama games, uh, impro games. Um, every Saturday, it was games, games, games. Yeah. And so I guess without me knowing that it was called improv, that's that's essentially what it what it was. Um, and then I started acting professionally and um, sometimes improv was used in rehearsal processes, auditions, yeah. um, all of that kind of stuff. But mainly what I did was scripted. And then I changed career and became a secondary school teacher in um, teaching drama. So I, uh, I mean, you know, you're a teacher, right? It's, yeah. it's exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> it's demanding. It is. 
you have hardly any um, energy or, or, or space for one's own creativity because you give every day, all day to young people. Um, and much as I loved that career, I was starting to feel deeply un, unsatisfied creatively. I, I didn't have any time or, or energy to do my own, uh, have my own creative outlets. Um, until my neighbor said, this is when I was living in Brighton, my neighbor said, hey, um, there's this improv workshop um, that happens in, in this pub. And that pub was on my road that I lived. Cool. And she said, you should check it out. So I went to um, the pub on my street in Brighton and um, it was a May Day's drop-in. And it was their weekly drop-in they did every Thursday. And the, um, that's how I got into improvisation. So um that was in 2007 wow so thus far i don't know what that is about 13 14 years ago um so i just started going to the may days drop-ins weekly week in week out and it yeah. really satisfied me i could teach during the day and be exhausted and be you know all of that stuff but on a thursday night that was my time that was my space that was where i could be really fulfilled and very creative and obviously not have to learn lines um, and just play, you know, I, I mean, just to be able to play um, when you have a very intense, serious job uh, with lots of demands on you. I think yeah. playfulness can get squashed out of you a little bit, uh, certainly squashed out of me. So it was so nice to go every Thursday night um, and just be playful and laugh. Gosh, like laugh, laugh, laugh. Um so my first teachers were um, John Kramer, who's like the one of the made one. Of, he's the original May Days guy. Right. Um, teachers like Heather Urquhart, Jenny Rowe, Katie Shute, uh, Rebecca McMillan. Um, uh, I'm sure there's others in the May Days as well, but they were like that. That's my um, um, backbone, really. That's my fundamental learners. That, that they're my fundamental teachers, like where yeah. I learned all the basics and I still use some of the the techniques and, and games that they taught me um I still use them to because you, you they're just awesome <laughs> so yeah that that's how I started awesome some of those names that you mentioned they're names that I've heard people talk about in really high esteem over the last year or so yeah uh yeah I mean uh, I I they are they are amazing brilliant teachers lovely people and incredible performers so it, yeah, there are some um, May Days shows on YouTube. If you're check out um, their most recent format in the before times was um, Happily Never After, and it was a Tim Tim Burton genre improv. Right. Um, and um, you can see how just golden they are together. Their chemistry, their ensemble, their support, the way they just yes and each other. Um, is just beautiful to watch. So yeah, I feel really lucky to have had amazing teachers um, from the outset, from the get-go. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then after that, I so after doing drop-ins for a while, I then did some of their more intensive courses, like 10-week yeah. um, kind of short form and then intermediate and then long form, did a couple of their long form courses. And out of the long form, course came a group of people who all wanted to set up a troop together cool. so that's what we did so that was probably around 2009 um we set up a short form team called the he has hmm. and um that was my first team 
and um we learn a lot just by doing it like you learn in the in the belly of the beast you know yeah. you, you set a date you get an audience and then you get on with it you know <laughs> you make you learn from it um you know you crap yourself some more and you carry on you know so um doing the hee-haws was an awesome like training ground for me and um i started directing the team as well a little bit so oh, i wow. saw, i went from like being a player but also being a player director um, and which matches my background anyway I'm, i've directed shows in theater i've yeah. been in, i've been in theater all my life all my working life since the age of 17. so i know theater um so i could bring some of that knowledge into the team um awesome. and that yeah it was really cool <laughs> and with the with the troupe that first troop of yours the he has were you a short form troop a long form troop or a bit of both oh definitely to begin with the first couple of years maybe uh we were definitely short form like it was yeah. all like these liners anyway type of game okay. games um and then we started um then we started doing a kind of blend a hybrid really so the first half of our set would be short form and the second part of our set would be a bit well it's probably more of a mid form really yeah. um, but it's certainly mid to long form in style and um there was this really cool uh format that we that we came up with and um it was we called it iprov shuffle because ipods were the thing were the thing yeah. in the north right so we had ipods and uh, we basically um put the um ipod we we took an we took an, a phone off a member of the audience okay. with them with their consent <laughs> so we could access their music library cool and then um the tech uh, one of us would always tech our shows so the tech we you know we would press we would just shuffle their playlist yeah. hit a song it would play for a 10 second burst and that that would inspire the set um, wow so it was like we might be listening out for a an energy and a vibe and atmosphere that the song created um or it might be that it was a song that you know was by the rolling stones say or something like that so then we'd yeah. start rolling in our heads stones that makes me think of rock which makes me think of rock climbing or that makes me think of rock which makes me think of uh, Blackpool, you know, so we would roll a deck depending on name of the band, name of the song, a lyric maybe, a lyric might pop out in that 10 seconds that we'd go, oh, that's inspiring. So that's how we would inspire our second half of our set. And um, yeah, the first time we premiered that, it was like a scratch night that Hoopla Improv, so Steve Rowe down at Hoopla, he used to do scratch nights. So we all got on the train up from Brighton to London and did like a 15 minute scratch night of iPod shuffle and the feedback from from everyone there was like this is really good you should pursue this so that's how we elaborated <laughs> on it after awesome so you mentioned that you were living down in Brighton and that's when your improv journey started how did you end up in Brighton well I'd lived in London for 12 years um so I was I, I was brought up on the Wirral but um uh I left the Wirral when I was aged about 19 20 and then okay. lived in London for for 12 years I mean I was an actor so I was going to auditions I was doing yeah. theater you know I was yeah being available for auditions and and film tv and theater like London is is the place really yeah. so after about 12 years of London and I was beginning to change my career because I was getting a bit fed up with the business you know the industry yeah um 
I just and I was getting fed up with London it was like for me at that point in my life it was like I'm I'm tired you know I'm, I'm exhausted London's too yeah. big too busy too noisy too polluted uh, too expensive you know all mm. of this stuff was kind yeah. of happening so I was like um um I just um got a job that's how I moved to Brighton I was thinking about Brighton and then I got a job my first teaching job in ah. secondary school was in West Sussex and then I realized it was that was commutable from Brighton and I was like oh my god yeah I can live in Brighton commute to teach work you know and live in Brighton so that's how I ended up in Brighton was partly context of my life but partly that was you know right. yeah I could commute to work that way um, and I was in Brighton for 10 years, yeah. So did you have to do a PGCE or something to, to get yeah, into that? Yeah, in London, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I trained to be a teacher. Um, yeah, because I, I, when I, I didn't have any qualifications when I left school. Like, I had my GCSEs, so that was it. Yeah. Um, because during my A-level year, that's when I got my first job, like, for a film for the BBC. Ooh. So I didn't continue my A-level education. Cause I was, I started working as an actor. So I went to university in my late twenties. I was about 29 years old, went to uni, got a degree in philosophy. And then after the degree I did my PGCE. Yeah. Right. So you said you got your first job in that film when you were 17. How did that come about? Did you have an agent then? Oh my God. I had such a shyster of an agent. So I was 16 <laughs> years old. And um, there was one of these classified adverts in the Wirral Globe or something right. like that, like a local newspaper for some <laughs> Liverpool agent looking for talent, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the, I, I, by, at that point, I knew I wanted to be an actor. Like I knew from the age of about 16, I was like, this is, this is the only place I feel at home, like going to the youth theatre um it was like it was like oh this is my tribe you know yeah. th th these are my people i understand this world and i want to you know i feel yeah belong a sense of belonging and identity so i knew i wanted to be an actor um so i saw this like crazy freaking classified advert um paid a load of money they took a stupid amount of commission they made me sign on the dot uh, uh, on a contract for 12 months all of the things that shiest it agents do right yeah. and I, so I had a good chat with my mom and my dad and I said I know that they're obviously a bit dodgy but I want to do this and they said okay cool and so they were really supportive at the end of my 12-month contract with this stupid agent I got this audition and it was an open audition they were looking for a, a Liverpool lass um to do a film and it was written by Jimmy McGovern oh. and it was dire directed by Gillis McKinnon and it's starred Pete Postlethwaite who played my dad Cool. um in the film and so it was an open audition so I just went along with a stack load of other Liverpool lasses and got and then got the job so I was like oh omg this is amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> so when you got that job what what was the process from the open audition how many more auditions did you have to go through to get the actual final role I had six or, or six recalls for that job wow. because um, the producer loved me. The producer um, was 100% convinced I was right for the for this part. The director just had one small doubt that, um, and, and interestingly enough, that that the thing that he wanted me to show in an in this audition was anger. Because right. I, I I'm not a very angry person, but this I couldn't really express it either, you know. <laughs> And so um, he kept calling me back, calling me back, calling me back. And on the final recall, 
the producer George Faber his name is he's one of he's someone I'll always be thankful for he's a big shot exec producer at BBC and um always be grateful to him because he rang me the day the evening before the final audition and he said Emma this is your last chance um Gillis the director um he needs to see you get angry he needs to see that um happen in in the in the in the scene that we were doing and I said okay thanks George and I went to the final audition and I thought I've got to just lose me rag here otherwise I'm not going to get this job <laughs> so um I did uh, we did a bit of improv actually interestingly enough we improvised a little bit and then we got back on script and um I did the script and I lost me rag and um I got the job <laughs> <laughs> excellent so you'd been trained basically on the stage and then you got this role in a film. How much did you have to change your acting style to make it suit the screen? Um, quite a lot, but not knowingly. Like I didn't know. Like everything that I've ever done in theatre or film or TV has been learned on the on the job. So I've never been to drama school and trained to be a professional actor. I just have been a professional actor, yeah. learn on the job. So I guess um, the biggest difference is to go smaller. I mean, with theatre, it's like it's very, um, you have to project your voice. You have to be bigger, louder, bolder, you know, just to be heard. Yeah. Whereas film, you have to go minimal, smaller. It's all about the face. It's, it's, it's like feeling something on the inside and just expressing that with a little look that would not register on stage at all, uh, but it registers on film. So it was things like that, that I guess I was learning on the job. Um, and in fact, Pete Postlethwaite gave me the one of the best pieces of advice um, I've ever gotten as an actor, young actor. And um, again, it was a scene about me losing me rag, like right. getting pissed off about something. And my characters, my character had a baby, young baby, and um, a, a boyfriend who the dad didn't like, and that was Pete. and we had this scene where Pete's character was trying to um, persuade me to leave my boyfriend and my character was like, no, I won't. Um, so he said to me, "Try." the baby was crying and he said to me, try and assemble the pram whilst we're having this argument. Right. So what happened was I had a crying baby. I was having an argument with Pete Postlethwaite in character <laughs> and I was trying to assemble a buggy a, a, a big yeah. a pram and it got me so freaking mad because I can't, you can't assemble a pram with one hand <laughs> so I, was like, I was getting so riled and then the director said cut that's the one <laughs> so it's like <laughs> from then on it's like whenever I've directed shows or, or or anything like that even in improv when I'm teaching I will encourage people to use objects to express emotion yeah. because it really, really helps. It really, really helps to, to, to interact emotionally with an object. And often that says so much more than words can, you know? Yeah. Now I've only ever acted on stage when, whenever you're performing, you're performing it as it is. You don't get to retake it. It's what it is. What is it like when you are giving something your all and then they say, right, we need to do that again from a different angle. Or can you just try that again like this? And you think, but I've just given that my all as it was. How does that feel? Um, I guess I, my experience of that is I just have to dig deeper. I just have okay. to find that emotion. I just have to find that trigger, that kernel, that thing that is um, triggering me to feel something. I have to find it again. 
and um and sometimes it's easier than others like other times and this is the case for stage as well i mean i i did a i did a show um a theater production for the national theater um and i was with acting with francis de la tour and it was really cool um amazing but i had to do the same show and it was a very emotional show where i had to cry every night right. for six months you know for six months it's, it's yeah. so it's 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 the same thing if you're going to do a retake on film or if you're doing a long run of a show yeah you have to dig deep you have to find that what we have to find whatever it is that's alive in you to express it again and again and again cool and as an actor what would you say is your proudest moment Oof. i think i think i think being you know being part of the national theater is yeah. incredible every time i drove over waterloo bridge to go to work at the National yeah. and you, you, I'm driving over Waterloo Bridge and the National is right there on the South Bank and they have this like rolling um, screen that says what shows are on that night cool. and so I would be driving across <laughs> Waterloo Bridge and the, the, play, the play The Good Hope would come off and I'm like oh, that's my show <laughs> I mean that's like I'm working here this is like the pinnacle for every actor is yeah. like the National Theatre, the RSC, you know, it's just such a, uh, such a, such a, uh, yeah, you, you've reached the top of the mountain. For me, anyway, at that point, I was like, ah, oh, this is unbelievably awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think for theatre-wise, it was National Theatre was a highlight. And film-wise, I think, I did a film with Minnie Driver, where she oh, really? was my, she played my sister. And um, that was pretty awesome i mean that's when you get posh caravans and everything you get posh <laughs> and you know you're you're sharing a winnebago with a hollywood star you know and it's yeah. like oh my god and the production values were really high and it's awesome. like it was a big like it was a big machine you know of, yeah. of a film set. so i think those two things um but then again i've got another highlight because i <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was 19, I was a regular, um, re a regular character on Casualty. So that was the thing that really wow. projected my career. Um, and so if it hadn't have been for Casualty, I wouldn't have got half the jobs that I did get. And I wouldn't, you know, I had a super awesome agent after the, fi the film that I did, the BBC yeah. film. Um, and, but when you're with a top agent, you can get recommended for really cool things like do you want to be a regular character in the in the series casualty <laughs> and it, you know if you if you haven't got a, a big shot agent you won't even get access to yeah. auditions of that nature or you know do you want to be in a film with mini driver like you don't get access to those auditions unless you've got a shit hot agent so i was just super lucky that i i got a job um as young as 19 i was when i did casualty wow and um felt what it felt like to be recognized on the street and be quote unquote famous and let me tell you it sucks it, sucks. <laughs> it does anyone out there who who says oh i want to be famous i'm like you have no idea how much you will miss your anonymity um, yeah. yeah it's not it's not a goal to strive for um a goal to strive for is to be is is to be excellent at your work work and, and follow your passion your your goal is not to be famous so the weird thing is i probably would have watched you as a as a child because i used to watch casualty when i was younger with my family so i probably watched you and not even realized yeah it was 92 so i don't know how old you were in 1992 but um 
that's that's when I did it. Yeah, I definitely would have been watching around about then with my family. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I played cool. I played a character, a nurse called Maxine Price. She was like a healthcare assistant, and she was like she was like a cheeky little scouser in the background. <laughs> well, not in the background. She was like just buzzing about being a healthcare yeah. assistant. Yeah. But awesome. it was a really nice job. So you've mentioned directing as well. How did you make the transition from actor to director? Um, through sheer will. Um, I, I I was fed up of not being creative. I was fed up of not getting acting work that was suitable for my age and gender. And because um, they, you know, uh, they're few and far between. And so I thought I'm going to make theatre. I'm just going to make theatre that I, uh, you know, I'm going to produce it. I'm going to create it. I'm going to make it happen. And yeah. that's how I approach all my projects, whether it's improv or, or, or acting or directing, I will make it happen because if you, to be sitting around waiting for somebody else to do something and you tag into it, 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 you can be waiting all your life. Whereas if you want something to happen, make it happen. And yeah. um, so that's how I started directing was like, I thought, Gosh, I can't even remember the first thing I directed now, but it was for Bright. I think it was for Brighton Fringe Festival. I think I started directing shows in school when I was a teacher. Okay. Again, learning on the job, like, yeah. like I mean, I have been directed as an actor, so I, I, I've been on the other side yeah. of it. So my approach to directing is always with the actor be, being my primary. Uh, I will take care of actors. Um, that's my primary concern. Yeah. Um, because actors are, are, are often under, uh, they're not treated well or they're undervalued or whatever. Whereas for me, acting is the job. <laughs> it's like everything. So as a director, I want to make sure my actors um, are fully um, prepared for their role and they've fully investigated their, their character and um, feel safe, confident, comfortable you know, so that's how that's my approach to directing. That is my approach to improv as well. I want to make sure my participants feel yeah. comfortable and supported, you know, because that that for me is everything. It's like the baseline has to be safety and security and support because people can't create in a in a hostile environment. Um, so I, that's how I approach directing. So I did some things in Brighton Fringe, Liverpool Fringe, Manchester Fringe. Um, yeah, and then a couple of years ago, I, would, I performed for the first time in a very long time mm. at the Hope Street Theatre. And again, it was Death in the Maiden, which is an awesome part for a woman in her 40s. Right. And I thought, that's I've got to make this happen because, you know, if I want to perform, if I want to do something, I have to make it happen. So I, I got got the team together, got a director, got a producer, um, auditioned. So I was part of the cast. Um performing yeah that was probably just before we met actually um oh, cool. so September 2019 and something so you said there that you like people to feel safe and comfortable and from my personal experience that's definitely how I felt coming to LCI and from conversations that I have there is a word that people use when they describe you and I don't know if you're aware of this word but the word is slick people say oh, Emma Bird is slick if you go to one of her classes you know, it is slick because people have been attending all sorts of classes all over the world. And like you run things, you run them well. You are you are strict without being overbearing and you keep the ship in order. 
whilst still like making sure everyone is having a good time. Gosh, that's so cool to hear. I honest to God, if 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 you'd given me the, if that would have been in a quiz, like what <laughs> word, what one word describes Emma? I'd like slick would not have been one of them. But I'm so proud to hear that because um um I think for, for for me that is because I have 30 years experience as a professional actor and director and if you walk into a rehearsal room unprepared or disorganized then the whole thing falls to pieces yeah so I I, I there's a part of me when I approach um sessions or direct or rehearsals or anything that I'm involved with with a very with quite a focused um professional attitude because that's just my baggage. That's what, that's what I, you know, that's how I'm wired. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that it's, it's kind of slick because I don't want to waste people's time and I don't want my time to be wasted either. You know, I want people to, to feel like they are having fun. It's safe. It's supportive and it's focused. It's not like wishy-washy. Oh, what should we do now? Or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. To you. It's like, I'm quite like, yeah, it's, it's it's the professional side of me that kicks in, I think. Yeah. Well, thank so, you. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so just thinking about LCI now, what is it that led you to actually starting Liverpool Comedy Improv? Oh, yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, okay, so the the big question for everyone is, how can, how can I make a living from something that I love? Right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's especially um, on point for creatives. Um, because it's, creatives are forever having to make compromises they have to work the nine to five because creative work is few and far between frequently underpaid or low paid or no paid so it's like the the the, the compromise that creatives make 80 90 percent of of them will be i have to i have to work for the man as i call it yeah and then my creativity gets squished out so I was pretty determined after I, I did a, I did a master's degree. I left teaching because I was fed yeah. up with teaching. And I did a master's and MA in applied theatre. And so then I kind of like, that was my exit strategy from teaching was like go into education myself again. Yeah. Um, so after I did my MA, I was like, I was, I was just like boshing around Brighton, not, Hmm. not really able to earn a, earn a decent living because like I say, creative work is few and far between doesn't pay very well. Yeah. So I was watching about doing a bit of this and that, like I worked for Chichester theatres, youth theatre, you know, I taught there, but then it got to the point where it was like, I don't want to teach kids anymore. Like, I feel like I've done my dues on that. Yeah. I feel like I've done my time and, and teenagers in particular, I was like, mm. I'm done. I'm done. Um, so I knew that I didn't want to work with teenagers anymore. And I knew that I couldn't really find work that I wanted to in Brighton. I can't, like, the Maydays is the improv team in Brighton. Yeah. And they teach, they perform, they have courses, classes, everything. They are the Brighton, you know, the dominant Brighton team. Yeah. Where you get, you, so there was no space, there's no room for, there was no, there would be, I mean, maybe there would be room for me to teach in, impro, um, in, in improv in Brighton. But it almost, it just didn't feel right yeah. as well. And I think I was ready to come home. My mum and dad are getting, you know, getting older, getting on a bit. And I've lived, I have lived away from them for like over 20 years, yeah. you know, nearly 25 years. And I was ready to come home. So 
I came home and then I thought, how can I earn a living from something that I love? Well, I love improv and I know how to do that. And yeah. there is a, there, there is a kind of improv scene in Liverpool, but it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of quiet and um, yeah. not as vibrant as it, I knew it could be. And I knew that there was potentially space for me to fit into this, this world up here, yeah. plus something that I can do and something that I love. So I just made it happen once again. It's like, if you want something to happen, make it happen. So I made LCI happen. <laughs> so how did you make it happen? What was the first step that you took to making it happen? So you moved to Liverpool and then you want to make it happen. Where'd you begin? Gosh, where did I begin? Um, I bought the domain name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I listed myself on Meetup, which is like this social, a social network where Meetup, where people look for interest groups and yeah sign up and go to activities, you know. So I, I, I found a venue, actually, what's your first thing is find a venue. That's what yeah. you need, find a name, find a venue. And venues in Liverpool are few and far between. And that's that's still to this day, one of the hardest, um, yeah, one of the more difficult areas for, for LCI is finding a home where that's affordable and reliable and, you know, yeah. it's. it's it's kind of it's hard to do that so anyway i found the magnet which is now hot water comedy on harden street which funnily enough is two doors up from where i now do teach at the fly in the loaf right um but it was called the magnet it was a bar and um and it had a downstairs basement room where they used to use for gigs and stuff like that like it was a student dive bar basically and um so i found the venue got me domain name, listed on Meetup, and just prayed to the universe that people would come on the first date, and um, they did. Oh, I handed out loads of flyers. Yeah. Got all my, got my family to hand out flyers as well to everyone they knew. And um, and then I think the first session, there was like maybe about 10, 12 people. Cool. Which is actually, quite, that's actually quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was at the magnet then for a, a, the first 12 months, but honestly, there's only so much sticky floor and the smell of urine that you can take, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Plus um, so I rocked up one night to do drop-in at the magnet and it was shut. Oh. And, and I was like, what the heck? Um, and so I literally marched everyone that comes to drop-in, marched them round the corner to the Pilgrim pub. Because I literally ran round to the pilgrim and said, is your room free by any chance tonight? <laughs> and they said, yes. And I said, please, can I use it? They said, yes. So wow. then I ran back to the magnet, gathered everyone together, <laughs> marched them round the corner to the pilgrim pub and stayed there for the next two to three years, I think, it or four years maybe. Awesome. So that's, you, how, that's how that happened. <laughs> you were, it was like a little pilgrimage to the pilgrim. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's yeah. funny, the, the magnet, I actually remember the magnet because I gigged there with my band years ago and your description of it is, is spot on. Yes, sticky floors, <laughs> smells. Well, smells yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've moved from the Pilgrim to the Final Loaf. 
how come you had to make that move? Did you just need to expand or what? I wanted to. I wanted to. I mean, the Pilgrim were, were excellent. They were largely reliable. And um, But as the years went on, um, I was getting more more and more. Uh, the class sizes were getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And the room upstairs at Pilgrim is is relatively, um, you know, s- small. Yeah. Um, there was things like that. It was like I needed a bigger space. And also there was other things like, like, it was always dark at the pil- you came to the pilgrim didn't you no i had not been to the pilgrim. Oh, okay right okay cool so it was getting darker and darker because they never ever replaced their light bulbs upstairs <laughs> so sometimes you'd rock up and it's like there's one freaking light bulb working and we're trying to do a drop-in with 20 people <laughs> it's just like it's getting a bit much this and um, then the the, the 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 this what's the word straw that broke the camel's back was the pilgrim decided to introduce quiz night on a Monday uh, night? My drop in was so we had um, downstairs. We had <laughs> like somebody like on a PA system. Yeah. and I was like, nah, we can't hear each other. Think so again. Did the whole thing of looking around every single venue I could possibly think of. I was even looking at derelict offices and anything that anything at all. It's so hard yeah. to find a. And I went back to the fly because I'd been there like before, like a few years back. And they, at that point, they 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 had a ridiculous policy of char- like how much the function room cost, right? Which is just a dumbass idea because then the room ends up being empty because no one creative can afford massive higher charges. Yeah. Um. So I just. I just happened to go back and just on the off chance and they said it's absolutely fine oh yeah that policy has now changed so it's not as expensive as that anymore I was like right this is what I need can you give it you know can you provide that is that okay and it's like yeah sorted it's good because especially on a Monday night because it's it's effectively just guaranteeing them some custom that night exactly exactly yeah bring in the punters so they've got um they, you know and then of course lockdown happened so i think i was at the fly from january to march 2020 and then lockdown yeah okay so yeah i came i think it was the february or the yeah the february i think i very first came february of last year so you hadn't been there that long at the time interesting no it was quite a new venue to me at that point yeah yeah. And then did you Great say to lo- be back then. Oh yeah. Um, let's just talk about that actually. How is that going? We we are back in an in-person improv world. Things going well. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I have to say, online was amazing, and I mean, what a community and how what an amazing. I don't know. I could wax lyrical about how amazing online improv is for so many. Um, because the the benefits are huge, just in terms of people connecting with each other, like yeah. the, the well-being. I'm very interested in improv for well-being and I do I do teach improv for specifically for well-being for other organizations. Um but it was it was absolutely palpable during lockdown how yeah. people, you know, people would message me and say, um, coming to improv is the only social contact they would have that day. Yeah. You know, or doing improv online is the thing that motivated them to get out of bed that day you know that kind of thing like really fundamental human stuff that that people found online improv it fed them and it watered them in it it, when we needed it most and then and then of course all the other awesome things like people meet people you some people fall in love ian they do (laughs) 
and um you know all of that gorgeous stuff and the whole world opens up you know you can get access to teachers and players right across the world which has just been the most incredible thing um so notwithstanding all of that being back in person is brilliant it's like <laughs> Thank you, thank you, universe. Thank you, science, for making vaccinations. You know, um, making it possible because to use our bodies again is awesome. Like our whole bodies and our we our whole peripheral vision. All of a sudden, we are once again three dimensional creatures who can play, and um, and it's just brilliant. And it, and it it's getting it back to. It's so cool actually watching like people who have only improvised online and they've now come in to in person and they yeah. couple of people on a couple of occasions have said, Oh, oh, I see how this works now, you know what I mean? Or <laughs> oh, that's how this game works in real life, you know, or it's like just little um Eureka moments. Um, because that that that's yeah, being in person is makes improv come alive again. Not not to say that online is dead improv. Online improv, I love it, but it's its own form. Yeah, and in person improv is is its own form. You know, I realized because I came to the park the other day, and mm. I realized, oh, I actually have to talk way louder than I've been used to speaking. Because even when I've been loud online, I'm still just in my house loud, and it's very different to being outside loud. Yeah. And, and much more so in the park as well. I mean, uh, you know, as a musician, like acoustics in, in an outdoor yeah. space, the, the, it goes to the universe right straight away. Yeah. So you do have to project a lot more. But yeah, yeah. And of course, at the fly in the loaf, we have the windows open because um, great ventilation, but it's right on a, on a relatively major road. Yeah. So even at the fly in the loaf, we do have to project more. Yeah. <laughs> And just back to online improv, you adapted online improv very quickly after we went into lockdown. How how did you go about making that decision? Uh, it's a no brainer for me, absolute no brainer. I this is my this is my livelihood. Um, so I um, it was it was it was existential there was an existential threat you know and this is the same for anyone who's in a freelance or creative um industry where you you can no longer have face-to-face -face things with people you have to adapt and survive it's it is adapt and survive it's it's completely existential like i don't know what i would have done had i not been able to go online so for me it wasn't even a dilemma it was more like how can i make this happen yeah <laughs> and there was loads of like awesome support from other improv like um the nursery hoopla maydays um to name but a few we were on on facebook forums you oh, know okay talking to each other and emailing each other saying what are you what have, what's your thoughts on um, zoom you know how does that work and what does teams any is teams any good and everyone's saying well how would you do that game online like what would yeah. you do that so there was so much collaboration at the and i would say over the first four weeks um of march where we were all supporting and talking and helping each other and i have to say huge thanks to steve rowe at hoopla impro actually because he, for me he was one of my he still is sometimes like my go-to person for steve how do you do this like when i was going back to in person yeah. hoopla impro were already um had already done a bit of in person like 
in the autumn last year when we were allowed. Um, so I was like, I'm emailing him saying, Steve, how do you do this? And the risk assessment and um, what do you do about what, like your insurance policy? Like does technical things about running a school. It's like, and uh, it's just brilliant. Just, just, we supported each other and that's how we did it. Yeah. And like, from my point of view, you having LCI, you've, you've given me so much in my life. And I know that there's lots of other people in my position. So going into the lockdown, whereas most people were struggling with what they were going to do, how are they going to cope? For me, it was the strangest sensation of, I got to get off the treadmill in work. And yes, we were still working as teachers, but I, you know, I was doing a lot of that work from home and I was, I was able to enjoy some me time in a way that I wasn't able to before. And in that time, you were offering classes and I was like, wow, not only do I get to just have this me time, I get to have this me time with some hilarious people that are going to make me laugh. So during that time, I was like having the time of my life, playing with people at LCI, learning skills along the way. And then like through all of that, I then obviously met Seki and I've formed the Oikers who are my troop. And I just think, wow, all of that is directly correlated to you and I just think how awesome to be in that position to offer people well well, all the various things you've offered I've spoken to other people that have told me that the impact that LCI's had on their life personally and their well-being so just thank you so much to you no honestly it's just the best job in the world it's 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 um you know I appreciate I appreciate hearing that as well because it's it's really I'm really proud. I'm really proud proud of um, LCI and what I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. I made this thing happen, and um, you know, I think this is my sixth year anniversary. So, wow. Um, you know, I've kind of made that happen, and I'm and I'm really proud of myself. But I'm also really, really proud of so many people who have come to LCI, who are just flying. I mean. I mean, Helen Jones was a great example on the podcast interview that you did. Yeah. The amount of creativity that that has unlocked for the improv has unlocked for her is outstanding. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Or I think of other people, you know, San or Jeff or you know, or, you know, other folks who have like were actually other people as well that I know who have come to me and told me quite personal stuff about where they were at before they found improv. Quite yeah. dark places for very many people. And they and they somehow found found improv and took a gamble and took that courageous step through the door, and 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 it's, it's just just tangibly changed their life, and and yourself, you know, it, it, it's you 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 know you've got found the love of your life and you've got a team, you know, it's like wow, how proud am I of all of these people and all of these events and consequences, and it's and, you know, and it's down to it's largely down to improv. It's a it's a golden ticket let me tell you it's a golden ticket but yeah so like you mentioned san and jeff there i i met them in person for the first time at the park the other day but i've done so much with them over the last year it was it was like meeting up with family there was no awkward this is the first time we're meeting it was oh yeah obviously we've known each other we felt like we've known each other for years and it was as i say it was just like getting together with family Yes. And that is such a buzz for me when I see that happen, when I'm, when I'm like, oh, you're meeting for the first time in person. That's so <laughs> lovely. 
Um, but it's also really nice to have people from the before times come. And yeah. there's a whole, there's such a wealth of different people involved in LCI. So for those who came before and didn't do online, um, and that's fine, um, but it wasn't for them or whatever, their priorities changed. That's awesome. That's fine. But a couple of them have come back to to in-person improv yeah. now. And it's so amazing to see them after 15, 16 months. And it I watch them interact with the newer people, like the people who have met online. Yeah. And for me, it's like it's like worlds colliding. It's so nice because like I know these people from way back, but they don't know the current people. And so it's like it's just really nice, symbiotic kind of people coming together and to see the people from before times coming back and like they're literally slipping on improv like it's a pair of gloves you know it's a yeah. it's a well-fitting pair of gloves it's like you know it's like learning how to ride a bike and it doesn't take you long to get back on the saddle kind of thing so that i'm buzzing off that as well right now as well it's like all of these worlds have, are, are coming together and it brings me a lot of joy and i'm, I'm so proud of so many people and I, I love the community um, and so much of that is nothing to do with me. It's just the fact that you are all awesome people and improv is the golden ticket. <laughs> awesome. Well, that pretty much seems like a good place to finish. Just before we do finish, just moving forwards, what can people look forward to from LCI? Um, well, hopefully and I'm going to go incrementally larger class sizes because okay. I'm going I'm going careful I'm being I'm very mindful of people's sense of safety and 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 where people are at having we've all come through an incredible unprecedented experience of a pandemic so we're all going to be at different points so I do not want to force tons of people on people or yes. too soon so for me, it's a very gradual, incremental increase of class size, um, and um, also hopefully, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna try and produce a show in the autumn mm -hmm. that brings teams together to perform. So um, yeah, so I, honestly, it's just like a little nugget of an idea right now. Yeah. But I I just think I, I'd like to. I mean, three teams have come out of LCI over the last six years. And I, I would really like, and I'm super proud of all of that, that, you know, these yeah. two teams are incredible, like Boss Birds, Oikers, um, Broken Chair, you know. So it's kind of, I want us all to have one huge improv shindig um, in a theatre, you awesome. know, perform, you know, perform sets and and just be together and perform and celebrate each other and so i'm hope i'm i'll build it and they will come that's what this phrase yeah. is so hopefully i'll work towards that but well, it, sounds... <laughs> well, it sounds very exciting <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so on that note i'm going to say thank you very much that was an excellent uh, excellent conversation thank you hey thanks ian and, and carry on your, what you're doing is brilliant oh, thank you very much Well, there we go. How awesome was that? Thank you so much to Emma for coming on and letting us into her life story, finding out what it was that actually created Liverpool Comedy Improv, where it all came from, how it all started, and the journey to getting there. 
was awesome. Somebody with so much determination to see what they want to happen and to make it happen. There is a great phrase that I love to use, uh, which basically says, be the change you want to see. And you could hear that and that passion from Emma when she talks. There were things that she wanted to happen, they weren't happening, so she made them happen. And I think that is a great way to be in life. We could all take a little something from that and use it for ourselves moving forward to basically just make sure that if there isn't a place for us, create the place. Because there will always be other people that want to share that place with you. So thank you to Emma for those inspirational words and for just telling us all about your incredible story to this point. And there's lots more to come as well. And if you are considering moving forwards and you've only done improv on Zoom during these times, because I know lots of people have joined LCI during these times, do check out Improv in Real Life. It is a completely different ball game, but I'm sure you'll love it. And for those of you that know all about improv in real life, hopefully you'll be back on the scene soon trying to get involved in improv in real life however you can, whether it's at the Flying Loaf, whether it's in the park, whatever works for you. But don't worry, it's not going away. It's still going to be online. Wednesday nights online for the LCI drop-ins. That's going to continue for a while. So what a wonderful situation we're in where we've got this hybrid of bit of something for everyone for those that want to go out and do it in person but it still exists online and that's great so moving forwards lots of exciting things to come thank you so much to emma for everything you've given us so far in the lci community and we are all super excited about what is still to come now, if you're interested in getting into improv or are already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. We also have a Facebook page, so check that out. It's nice and simple. Just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improv cast and you'll find our page. You can like the page and you can see all of our posts about every episode. New trailer for each episode comes out every Thursday and then a new episode drops every Monday and if you are a member of the LCI community and you would like to be a guest on the show then please get in touch with me or with Emma and we'll make the arrangements as soon as possible and I'm serious about this there's loads of people in the LCI community that I don't really know and therefore I'm not reaching out to you and you know people they often even the people that I've been interviewing they say oh, I haven't got much to tell I could probably only talk for about 10 minutes and then we have a whole 40 45 minute chat and everyone has got such interesting stories to tell so don't think that you don't have an interesting story to tell you do and I would love to hear it and the rest of the community would love to hear it so genuinely if that is something that you think that you'd enjoy just get in touch whether it's with me or whether it's with Emma and we would be delighted to make that happen don't forget if you are listening on apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show give us a five-star review anything you can do like that really gives us a boost and helps get our name out there if you want to check me out on social media you can find me on facebook instagram twitter and youtube just search for ian luke jones and you'll find all things me on there and that's pretty much it for today but before i go here are some words that are wise 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 
Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv, and yes, and... <laughs>